Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Hey, welcome back to the Hunters AfterBuzz TV After Show. We are going strong with concluding the series tonight, and we are now in Episode 8, The Jewish Question. And I'm not here to answer that all by myself. I am joined by my fantastic co-host, Miss Haley Gray. Hey, everyone. Excited to finish up The Hunters tonight. And wow, Episode 8 was a doozy. I cannot wait to dive into it. Yeah, I, I am so eager to get into this episode. I forgot to introduce myself. Hi, I'm Kevin Allen. All right, we got that out of the way. Uh, we're going to talk about Murray and Mindy, their new relationship dynamic that we get to see in this episode, uh, Meyer and Jonah's relationship dynamic, and their like spraying from the light. And we're going to get into the big reveal of the master Nazi scheme, corn syrup. And hopefully, as with all of everything to talk about, uh, I got tons of stuff to uh, share with you on our special segment and some news to share as well. Uh, before you get into all of this, Haley, um, this episode there's just a lot there's a lot let's let's dive in right in like you said yeah this episode for me was probably one of my favorites because Mm -hmm. we've reached a point that all of our characters are really going through something so they're essentially their true character their character arcs are really starting to um shine very bright and true right now we're our characters each one of them are kind of being tested in their own ways so we're starting to see which direction they're going to actually go in and we got a lot of information this episode which for me that's why I really enjoyed it because we finally have so many just questions answered I mean the name of the episode is the Jewish question and we definitely got a lot of answers so yeah I was worried at the end of our last after show uh that the group would be falling apart and kind of be uh just Banded, so to speak. I don't feel that way in this episode as much as everyone is going through something. I don't feel like anybody is abandoning the hunters, but there's definitely a lot of change happening. Yeah. And what I personally love about this episode, because I'm a big uh, philosophy guy, is the, the discussions of ethics in this episode. This series has always been a discussion of ethics and morality, but in this episode, there was literal discussion about it. And everything that this uh, series has kind of been dancing around has just been put straight up on the table for us to uh, to unravel and try to make sense of. And uh, so we're going to get into as much as we possibly can. I want to start with the funeral. And that seems like a weird place to start after all the heaviness we had last episode. But I... I loved this ceremony. I thought it was uh, incredibly sweet, heartfelt, and touching. Uh, our rabbi, we get to have him again. He had some wonderful words to say about Murray in relation to his faith and in his faith's relationship with Mindy. And I just thought the gesture of having uh, the proper Jewish ceremony 
as a final request for the Mindy's sake was incredibly moving for me. Yeah, uh, I, I, okay, I cry easily, but that's not the point here. The point is that mm-hmm. in what I've grown to love about Murray and Mindy is their relationship and kind of that old fable, I'm a hopeless romantic of, you know, true love defies all odds. And they were a complete testament to that. And the fact that they survived the Holocaust together, they came to America, they built a life together, a beautiful life with a daughter who they just got to um, give off her hand in marriage. And they have really created and established a life together. They do everything together, as Mindy said. And so the fact that his essentially dying wish um, I loved the line, the two lines really about how if uh, once she finally is done nagging me to death, I thought that that was cute because it was a little play on their relationship. Yeah, that was super cute. But then also whenever he was like, I'm not doing this because I believe in him, but because I believe in her, like I lost it. I, that was just about the greatest grand gesture that you could ever go out on. Mm-hmm. And it just was another complete test of how true their love for one another actually was. It really was. As much as we've been seeing their love demonstrated throughout the series, this episode just brought it to a whole nother level. And it wasn't anything dramatic or especially intimate even, but it was just real personal and genuine. Yeah. So he has that grand gesture and, uh, and to further support it when Mindy is talking with Jonah about his final moments he asks was he afraid you know I'm trying to picture how he was and just can you shed some light on that and he unknowingly reveals that in his final moments he basically said a a prayer and not just one of out of fear or out of uh, protection or any gesture toward Mindy per se, but just one out of appreciation for the goodness of God and faith and such. And that was probably more than Mindy ever could have hoped for because she immediately broke down uh, with joy, with appreciation. It's hard, it's hard to peg. It was. Yeah. I think it was just more relief in a sense Mm. too, because I feel like, and we've kind of had seen that, Mindy's faith was huge to her and not just even to her, but the fact that I think she wanted to know that upon their passing, that there was going to be life after death and there was going to be um, some hope for where Murray was going to go. And I think this provided a sense of just solace for her and that fact that she was able to breathe knowing that if the last thing he did was say this prayer, then that means there was a level of belief and acceptance in him. So I think she can find comfort in the fact of knowing that he had passed on peacefully. That's beautiful. And he does, uh, so to speak. Like we, she visits him or he visits her, I guess I should say. Uh, She has a moment after her daughter leaves where she starts to talk as if Murray is still there and imagine the conversation, but it, it quickly became something more than that to the point where I was like oh are they dramatizing that now she is crossing over like she's following her husband like this kind of uh June and Johnny Cash situation 
but that's not what happens. Uh, this is very open to interpretation. What was yeah. yours? I, I was worried about the same thing. I really was because oftentimes I've heard, you know, there's tons of stories out there that when you have loves like this, that, and you're at a certain age that when one passes, it's not long after then the partner also passes. And so I thought that this was some sort of something very similar, almost along the lines of like Mindy was dying of a broken heart, essentially. And so I thought the same thing that she was having this situation where she was in a place that she could cross over or, you know, come back. And so that's what I, I thought the exact same thing, but it was very beautiful. It was very sweet that she got to see the fact that Murray and Aaron were together. And I think, again, it kind of touched on what I just said, this, just this relief and this knowing that he was at peace. And I think that's really what she was searching for and knowing, but then also she still is living with this internal conflict of the fact like Moritz is still in their house. Yeah. And that now this is something that's on her plate and that's left to her. And the irony of it is the fact that in the last episode, when we saw both her and Murray going through and playing out these envisioning scenarios in their head of what they would like to do to this Nazi in their basement. Um, Murray was the one who each time I feel like almost couldn't do it. Like he wouldn't cross that moral line. His moral compass was very straight. And it was Mindy who kind of kept being like, come on, do it. Come on, do it. You know, like make him suffer. And so the fact that now she was going to have to do this on her own, but she also has the weight of trying to figure out what Aaron and what Murray would also want her to do in this situation. And she's now going to have to honor that and have that weigh in on her decision and her desire for vengeance as well. You know, I almost feel as if there was no lingering desire for vengeance. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like you said, she, there was this evidence of the afterlife, uh, yeah. so to speak. She realized that both Murray and Aaron are at peace. So what, does she have left to feel uh, solemn or morose over? Yeah. Like she, like she doesn't have, I mean, she does, she has a huge reason to hate this man, but Mm -hmm. no longer to really seek vengeance. And, you know, as I was watching it, I mentioned that I was, I've been watching this series with everyone in my house. So obviously we have discussion about it and it seemed harsh in the moment, the way that she like, the decision she ends up coming to but in reality like it wasn't what she did was the most merciful thing she could have done yes i mean he probably had been suffering yeah down there for it's been at least a couple days at least for sure that's what i mean that was the first thing we were all like so how long has this dude been down there because it's definitely been at least a couple days no he definitely like wet himself and probably soiled himself like there was there it was you they didn't linger on it which yeah. is nice. Uh, but there was evidence that he had been kind of just left to stew. Yeah. Uh, and considering that this entire season, we've been seeing these kind of eye for an eye vengeance. Uh, the bull- the single bullet to the head is only reserved as an act of mercy. And yeah. we will see that later uh, in yeah. this episode as well yeah. with, with uh, Jonah and... Meyer's quest. Um, so uh, on that note, uh, you had mentioned 
before that um, I'm, I'm losing my thought that Mindy had a moment with Meyer as well. Yes. Af after the fact. Yes. So at least I recall this moment that Meyer, it was just really unique that Meyer and Jonah are the ones who kind of come to Mindy's rescue almost after the fact that Jonah was the one who had to deliver the news to her and the fact that they're the ones consoling her and Meyer, you know, sits there, holds her hand, hugs her. And he just has this really kind of rallying cry ability to bring people almost to their senses. You know, like he's the one who's like, Mindy, we need you. We need you to come back into the fold. And just like that, she's able to do so. And it was just really powerful to me that he was able to help her. And the two of them were the ones that were there in that moment for her, because um, I feel like both Jonah and um, Meyer are the two that Murray felt like he needed to help the most. And the fact that they were the two there kind of helping Mindy along was just really, really beautiful to me. Yeah, I, I hate to say that I somehow missed that. Uh, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> well, so I actually want to back it up with those thoughts to this, the top of the episode. Uh, we left off the last one with uh, the bombs going off and now we're in the great New York City blackout of 77. Yep. So we pick right where we left off. Jonah is aimlessly wandering through the streets of New York. There's rioting and looting and uh, chaos everywhere. All to the Rolling Stones, which I hate to say like made me like really vibe to that. <laughs> I was like, man, yeah. I hate that this is so much fun to watch. Like, I shouldn't dig this right now. Uh, that's the trouble with the stones. Uh, but he makes his way back to home base and breaks the news to everyone. Uh, Lonnie's not dead. He's, he's returned. But like, it was, that was kind of a qualm I had with this episode because I thought it was so odd. They didn't, they don't even like really acknowledge it. Like it was just like, he got stabbed. He was laying, like the last time we saw him was he was laying on like essentially the ground of the subway station and then the next time we see him he's miraculously standing fine and like no one is even acknowledging the fact that he was just stabbed like I don't even really remember seeing any blood like it was just a really there, kind of odd oversight there was blood but it seemed like it was a flesh wound yeah yeah, uh, yeah. but considering Jonah like drifting through the crowd while just I mean people are getting beaten and stabbed all around him I was like how did Lonnie make it back yeah unscathed and um, and like Jonah just like kind of we see him starting to lose his mind and the fact yeah. that he's like seeing Murray and he's seeing Ruth and like just so much is going on in this guy's head right now I felt like the only reason he was able to make it back uh without being touched is because he was so in his own little world being yeah. tormented by these now three people who've been close to him and have been murdered in very recent uh so i was i was just kind of surprised that lonnie was there um but yeah jonah comes back to reveal the news that murray will not be joining the group anymore uh with all of that torment in tow yeah uh mindy breaks down uh i feel like the whole group just kind of like again they they much to my surprise came together rather than fell apart mm -hmm. but it was definitely a tough revelation. And af outside after the uh, funeral ceremony, 
Jonah, like all that stuff that he was bringing with him into that room finally was too much for him. Yeah. He was overwhelmed with guilt and had a breakdown uh, outside with Meyer. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me that he, that Meyer, I guess it's not necessarily interesting, but he keeps finding like solace in Meyer and like he keeps going to Meyer to be consoled and to try and I guess piece together answers about himself and how he should be feeling in these situations. And it, and I mean, it makes sense like on paper, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, Meyer grandfather, Jonah no longer has family. So Jonah goes to Meyer to get through these things. Like those things make sense. But where I struggle and watching this as it happens is because we start to see Jonah become more and more like Meyer. And like later in this episode, I know we're going to get to it, but it's just crazy to see and really think about when you're going through something traumatic in your life, the people around you have such a direct influence on how you handle those situations and how you're able to come out on the other side of them. And whether that other side be a positive or negative thing, it's just so impactful the people that you surround yourself with when you go through traumatic experiences. And we're seeing that a lot right now with Jonah. I'm so glad you brought that up that he's becoming more and more like Meyer because the more and more of Meyer we get to know, the more I, it's not that I dislike him, but I, I feel less and less like he is a good person. I Um, just, and like, I, I kind of said this last episode, but like, and I guess I do this in my real life too. That's why I do it with shows, but I'm constantly <laughs> questioning people's intentions and whether they're true or whether they're self-serving. And this episode to me revealed a lot more about Meyer and the fact that he's a lot more self-serving than we initially were led to believe that it has always felt like he was doing this for a cause and for a reason and everything was just, and there was a solid line that he was crossing but there's a reason he was crossing it and yeah. now this episode I mean we learn why and we learn everything that happened to him and why he came to this point but it's just it's just so unique the position that we find all of them in because as a Jewish community one of the biggest things they never want to give up is who they are being Jewish but by committing these acts they're committing, they're essentially throwing away that part of their identity and the one that they're trying to seek vengeance for. So it's just this really weird circle. And like, it's just all around making me question all of Meyer's intentions and actually where he stands on any of this, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I just gave so many thoughts. Well, <laughs> yeah. And so let me, I want to, I want to bounce off a few of them. Uh, uh, forgive me if I start cutting you off the next time you get into that, because I have like, I, okay. So I got to, I got like three to follow up with. Yeah, um, I was like, that was thought vomit right there. Like you just witnessed my brain just. Great. No, it's great stuff. Okay. So yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, uh, just a moment ago, Meyer has this gift of kind of like, like, I don't want to say coercing people, but he inspires others to get back on their feet and, and follow his plans. It's so almost very Hitler-esque. He's, Given he's the times, charismatic. Like, yeah. And yes, we could call it that. Manipulative. Yeah. And that's the thing is I, I, where do you draw the line? Like he's yeah. definitely charismatic, but yeah. there are times when I'm like, it, it's not like he, he tricks people into doing things, but he just kind of 
but see, but he He's such eloquence he like, that he, yeah, like he knows how to manipulate his words to make people believe something in themselves. It's like he knows the exact thing mm-hmm. that someone needs to hear in order to do the task that Meyer wants them to do. Yeah. Okay. So exactly, giving <laughs> this pep talk now yeah. to Jonah, who is just um distraught. Yeah. He is has the worst. Uh, like metaphysical quandary of his life raging inside of him. And Meyer's discussion is about like, about the nature of heroism. And it's not doing the right thing. You know, that's, that's the pen and paper comic book attitude, but uh, heroism of flesh and blood is doing what's necessary. And I'm like, I, I, but is, is that because that's, and all of our stories and our collective mythos, that's usually the mindset of, of the villain. It's yeah. easily corruptible because what, where do you draw the line there? Yeah. Um, I know. I just like can't help but like thinking of like you referenced it in our last episode, but just about like Captain America, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And just like everything that like how you said, like how we faced with like Hydra and all like they like, that's just what is crazy about all of this. And even when you break it down to this time period and Hitler and his Nazis and all of his followers, like they all believed that they were doing the right thing also. Yeah. Yes. The, the, the Nazis believed they were doing the right thing as completely screwed as that was. Yeah. Uh, the FBI thought they were doing the right yeah. thing by welcoming the Nazis into the Americas uh, for the <laughs> safety against the red scare. Um, like it's where so where do you draw that line and thankfully we in their pursuit of their next target von brauer i think his name is um they go visit their friend simon weisenthal who has an open and frank debate with meyer about the uh ethical consequence of his actions and exactly what you were talking about uh meyer's intentions Yeah, and whether it's worth preserving Jewish people by sacrificing Judaism. Yep. Uh, I loved that scene. And I was kind of upset that at the end of it, Jonah was like, whatever, man, screw you. Give us the intel we came for. And like that, again, like just, like I said, this whole episode just continuously showed us that Jonah was moving away from really his roots and we can almost say his Ruth because everyone referred to him constantly being like Ruth and being so similar and then now he's completely almost morphing into being a young protege of Meyer which we know Meyer wants but it's just constantly showing up in this episode and even in the facts of like I feel like the Jonah that we saw in I'm going to refer to it as like part one of this season, which is like episodes one through five. That was Jonah wanting to learn everything he could about Judaism and, you know, about that part of himself that he never really knew about. And he is doing everything for that part of him. And now it's like, what are, what are you really doing this for now, Jonah? And now I feel like it's turning more to him doing this because of the deaths that he has had um, in his life. That that's why he's doing all of these things, not necessarily because of what has happened to his people. And what what gets me is the further that Jonah walks down this path with Meyer, it's less about 
honoring the people yeah. or finding justice for Ruth, yeah. you know, it's, it's just about pure vengeance yeah. to the point where at the end of their interrogation with the rocket man, like yeah. the vision of Ruth that's been chasing him around, haunting him is it's like gone. screaming at him. Yeah. Like, how could you? Um, I thought that that part was beautifully well done by the producers yeah. and by the writers of this show. The fact that we see him in a situation where, and he kind of took on, he took on a lot in this scene because he's the one who initially figured out that this man is who they're looking for by going, it's 4th of July, going to his house, getting him to sign a piece of paper. They come to the conclusion that this is who they're looking for. Um, and then they end up crashing their 4th of July party. They grab this man, they have him tied up, and it's Jonah leading the torture. It's Jonah electrocuting this man. Joe is standing in there, and that's normally Joe's job. And the fact, I think it said a lot, the fact that Joe even thought Jonah was crossing a line. And then yeah. the fact that Ruth was there screaming at him, and you just see Ruth disappear. That was so mm. powerful, because that was the moment that as a viewer, I saw that Jonah is in a bad place like yeah. confirmed bad place. <laughs> no, I, God. Um, I remember at the top of this episode, like him being tormented, he comes in and Jonah, he, it, not like it's really his fault, but he owns up to the circumstance and yeah. breaks the news to everybody yeah. with a heavy heart. He still is focused on trying to solve the problems and he, he figures out the clues about the docs and... Uh, he's, I mean, he's one hell of a detective. He's doing an amazing job yeah. uh, taking over for Ruth. But yeah, by the end of it, like Myers is like, oh, you do Joe's job. And he does it harder than Joe would, which says a lot. So all mm -hmm. of the, the virtue and the skill set, the potential that he goes into this group with is just being set aside for one of, of malice. Yeah. Uh, Anywho, it proves effective. Yes. And he gets uh, Von Brauer to, or Von Braun, sorry, to reveal the master plot that the Nazis have been building toward, which is corn syrup. And I, honest to God, like my thoughts when I heard when he was dishing out, like, oh, it's, we're going to target uh, the poor and uh, low economy families and then the minorities but it's going to be a thing that's everywhere in everyone's food and their drink. And I'm like, is he describing corn syrup? Yeah. Like, same. Then, I was like, like the stuff that nowadays we avoid. <laughs> yeah. But the thing it's like, it's like, you know, it's so commonplace and, yeah. and we all know it's bad for you, but it's like, it. I was like, this is the master plan, like to slowly kill everyone over the period of their entire life. Um, and to, and I was like, is this really where he's going with this? And then I realized that and he goes corn syrup. And I was like, oh, he's being a jerk. Like he's, he's dishing out bullshit yeah. to, to up to not throw out the real master plan. And then the episode kept going and I went, oh my God, no, it's really that. Uh, yes. But they're poisoning corn syrup. That's the distinction. <laughs> not making it. Yeah. It's a new product and they're just going to make it way to hell worse yes it's and they're making not just that but they're making this product attractive and they're making it to where children want it and mm -hmm. like how they said they're going to be you know putting it in um specific socioeconomic places and they're really targeting 
certain people in the same way that, well, Nazis always have. Yeah, I mean, they had that meeting and she's like, oh, Oh, we we thought we were great with six million. This is going to be a yeah. masterpiece. Like, just, well, because I think I think the number that they're anticipating is twelve million. Okay. Yeah. Which, like, um, I mean, and yeah, we I think we learned that number from when Harriet went and visited her friend. Oh, right at the CDC. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's right. And, no, Harriet definitely did a great amount of detective work to get us some distinct facts. Uh, and then she still has her connections with her old. Well, nunnery things, I guess. I'm still, I'm so sketched out by Harriet. I don't know whose side she's on. I don't know who she's actually working for. I don't talk about someone that I don't understand their intentions. Like mm-hmm. she is the main one of all of that. And I just do not, I don't get what she's doing and who she's actually working for. There's just a whole nother hidden agenda to her because what we found out about her to me just wasn't enough to answer my questions about her. Yeah, I, I had spoken before about my uh, my concern over her uh, being a double agent. And I felt like once she had delivered the Markowitzes uh, their prize, that, oh, okay, no, she really is on their side. She works for the team and she's just invested in a different way or different level than uh, just doing the hunters thing. But so now I'm feeling, okay, well, she's also got her old ties maybe with MI6 or with the the nuns who might turn out to be like some their own secret organization. I was like, okay, yeah. maybe she's just moonlighting. You know, she's still on the side of the hunters and doing their thing, but I, in tandem, she's also working with this other group. But it does beg questions. Uh, I, I, and truth be told, I still have questions about Meyer, like I, I still haven't forgotten his time with Tilda Sauer, Sauer, or whatever. Yes, yes, and how right. and how he decided to just shoot her just because you know it's like now more and more questionable acts by Meyer are starting to make more and more sense as mm-hmm. more, more of his character is being revealed. Yeah, and again, he was just like, did it? You know, was I rash? Sure. Did I do the wrong thing? Of course not. And I'm like, I you haven't sold me on that though yeah yeah Uh, exactly exactly so uh but meanwhile with the nazis like everything with like travis is kind of hitting the fan uh biff's on the run and i'm loving it i love that he's like buying gas station t-shirts now (laughs) so i'm like all right well at least there's a little bit of reprieve here uh anyway i would like to get into our special segment i have a lot to share um First and foremost, I'm going to lighten this up with uh, some recent news. Uh, Carol Kane, I thought, had a, a a marvelous performance this episode. She was my MVP for uh, episode eight here, despite all of the wonderful philosophical debate. I think she was a masterclass in dramatic acting, which is great because uh, we all know her as a comedy legend, and she's <laughs> going to remind everybody that she's a comedy legend. Uh, there's going to be an interactive special with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt happening on Netflix. It's going to oh. happen on May 12th. It's going to be an interactive episode, the same way that Bandersnatch was. Interesting. But with Tina Fey's Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Carol Kane there. So uh, that's going to be fun. Totally the opposite of this show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> all right, and cool. And now that we're back in a carnival-like atmosphere, uh, so I originally wanted to, knowing that the blackout of 77 is coming up, I was going to share a little bit of insight on the New York 
city blackout because this show does like to overlap with actual historical mm -hmm. events in fact and this is being a big one uh we saw the son of sam murders happening earlier in the season and they don't really impact our plot per se but they help add to the setting and as i know you're a fan of this setting it, it's a very poignant one yes uh specifically this year specifically in new york city so the blackout of 77 was a real event that happened, uh, not because generators were blown up by secret Nazis, as far as we know, but by like repeated lightning strikes, taking out different breakers throughout the city that then just, you know, ha having to do patch job after patch job ended up overloading a lot of transmitters. Um, so a transmission lines, pardon me. And it just ended up overwhelming the city of New York and uh, blacking out most of Manhattan and New York. Actually, in the episode, they mentioned all five boroughs blacked out. That wasn't necessarily the case. Queens was fine. The Pratt Institute in Brooklyn was okay. And then some buildings that have their own, like much older buildings with their own generators were fine. But most of NYC wasn't a blackout. And it did inspire lots and lots of looting and arson and crime. I actually pulled up some of the numbers here because it was a lot of information. I'm not going to throw it all at you, but um, all in all, 1,600 stores were damaged and looting and rioting. Uh, there were a thousand fires that had to be responded to that night, uh, including 14 fire alarms. Uh, the largest mass arrest in history with 3,700 uh, 3, people being arrested. Like It was insane. Uh, the city had to be bailed out by the Carter administration with $11 million just to get relief funding. See, that just blows my mind because yeah. there's nothing about a blackout that entices me to want to go and start a fire. You know, and so I was, I thought the same thing. And what factored into this particular event, because there were actually recent blackouts. There was one uh, in New York that happened in uh, 1965. And then we had one recently in 2003, which didn't see writing. The difference was in 1965, that one happened in the daytime. So a lot of shop owners were still indoors and thus able to protect their shops. This yeah. one happened at night. So it was kind of like, nobody's watching. We can go nuts. On top of that though, during this very poignant time in New York mm -hmm. City history, uh, there was a financial crisis. Again, everyone was terrorized because of the Son of Sam murders and there was a heat wave. So like just New York City was as stressed as it could get, and this was just the powder keg going off. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and I wish I talked all about that last episode when yeah. the New York City blackout happened, because I actually found out some more interesting stuff about this one, if I've got the time. Is that cool? Yeah. So We'll uh, make predictions Tilda, quick. Yeah. I mentioned Tilda Swower and her coming up in a previous episode, and I thought that was interesting because there was a real life Nazi propagandist named Lenny, and I'm going to screw this up, uh, Reifenstahl. She was a, a noteworthy filmmaker. She still is a noteworthy filmmaker. She came up with a lot of pioneered uh, techniques in filmmaking and created a very um, heroic style of filmmaking that yeah. and movie making that is still used today. Her work was so good, but also was used for a lot of Nazi propaganda at the time that it causes a lot of debate to this day. Wow. Uh, but that was the real life inspiration of a fictional character, Tilda Swower. But in this episode, they used real people. 
Uh, Werner von Braun, their target in this episode, yeah. was an actual rocket scientist. Uh, he was an aerospace engineer and space architect who was in Germany, but later worked for the United States. Uh, similarly, Simon Weissenthal was also a real person, the man that they have the debate with. Yeah. And they say, oh, we have to go talk to a Nazi hunter. He was a real life Nazi hunter. His technique was to do it the legally, uh, the legal way in which he basically compiled a lot of evidence and testimony to put Nazis through trials. And that's what we so, see at the law office in this episode. So mm-hmm. Jonah's first instincts to do, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that was a real thing that really happened. And this is a real guy who did it and made it quite the name for himself. So we have Meyer meeting the real life counterpart who is doing the ethical version. So it's Meyer, Meyer's the vengeful wish fulfillment and Simon is, no, this is the right way things are done and this is how it actually gets done. See, and like, as I, like, as mm -hmm. I watch this show, I, it's mostly like, I know that there has to be some truth to it because it's based on actual history, but Mm -hmm. it's a, it's these stories, you know, and it's the one like this one where we see Meyer basically give up a piece of himself to the wolf with whenever he's drugged out into the woods with Ruth and the guns to her head and he has to take 11 innocent lives you know like those types of stories that for me hit really deep I'm sitting here thinking like there has to be some level of truth to this you know they can't just pull this story like out of wherever you know like there has to be some level of truth and they have to have found these stories somehow to bring them into the show. I always took it as it was a dramatized event to capture the, uh, what is, what I want to give it the right word, like the trauma that people experience in the camp. We as a culture have seen a lot of depictions of the Holocaust to the point where I don't want to say that we're numbed by it, but it has become, um, it's been watered down. It doesn't have quite the same impact. So I feel like the showrunners in an effort to shock us back into the trauma of it and the weight that it carries for those who survived it, come up with these fictionalized ordeals of human chess matches and the like. Who's to say whether or not they actually did happen? I don't know how good the record keeping was back then. And that time, I mean, it's the, it's the victors that get to write history. Yeah. Um, And like, and I will say the other unfortunate thing is as a society, we have become much more violent than I think we would even like to admit. And as you said, in a sense, we've almost become used to violence. I mean, you like, this is a much deeper subject, but it's like when you watch shows and movies, it's almost like violence is just a part of it now. And so I feel like this show brought back a different type of violence where the violence wasn't necessarily entirely physical, but it was so emotionally and mentally abusive that that for me especially is what just really got me thinking and really put me in a place of just feeling just a ton of emotions. Because every time, like, honestly, that's for me with this show, what captivated me the most was when they would go back and they would have them talk about their experiences with the Holocaust. And it showed me, you know, how those experiences then affect them the rest of their lives. And we see that very evidently 
in this situation with Meyer and Ruth and how he gave up a huge piece of himself in that moment. Yeah, I, I think it, it occurs to me now that you mention it. Uh, we started off this series seeing these just horrific farces of violence with uh, like the human chess match and uh, gunning down a band yeah. as they're playing music and stuff or trying to hit the right note. You know, these yeah. just absurdly brutal scenarios of physical violence. Yeah. But the ones that hit harder and deeper yeah. are the ones we, as the show goes on, where it's just like the Markowitz's son being shot in their arms, which yeah. is very plausible and yeah. probably did happen for sure multiple times. So it, it's the, the fictionalized accounts is do paint a picture of the setting, but the, as we go on and understand these characters more and get a more yeah. in tune with their personal lives, it gets more factual. Yeah. Uh, with Myers thing though, whether or not something like that really happened, yeah. it, you make a good point in that the wolf tortured him physically and it wasn't enough. Yeah. So he attacked his soul. Yeah. Uh, and that is a, har a much harsher evil. Yeah. Like you can essentially overcome and move past physical pain, but what the wolf did to Meyer, he like, I don't know how you come back from that. Like at that point you were changed forever. The person you were prior to, like the person Meyer was prior to going into those woods was never going to come back. He just took 11 lives, which was not only against his religion, but he had to do it in front of the woman he loved to save her. So he essentially gave up his, all of his beliefs and everything that he viewed religiously for a woman. And then she also had to see that. And so just this talk, yeah. just like right. that, like that's just heavy. Yeah. You know? Right. And, God. and like, and I really think that that moment also is what still influences Meyer in this show to have almost a self-righteous sense and different sense of right and wrong. Because, mm -hmm. and I think that's a lot of why we see his decisions not necessarily being influenced by Judaism or the fact that he, he doesn't necessarily reflect on that anymore because he had that taken from him. So now it's just like, that's why I think he simply operates on vengeance under this masking of, I'm doing this because they were Nazis and I'm Jewish. But in reality, it's just straight vengeance because he had something taken away from him by these people. Yep. It's like, yeah. this, I mean, uh, like this show. Is just... uh, well, where do you, th he's now influencing Jonah. Yeah. And so where do you see this going? Because I, I see this, I almost see this as uh, as Jonah unknowingly walking down the path of the dark side and becoming corrupted. Uh, it, 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 him being corrupted by the, the same kind of hatred that they are trying to fight. Yes. And that will probably be both his and Meyer's ultimate battle. Yeah, I think it's ultimate. I think if there's anyone that's going to bring him back, to the light and to essentially like have a different view on things it would be mindy i think she's the only one that would be able to be kind of a voice of reason for jonah um but like as we kind of discussed like the reason why 
I don't see that happening is that I just think that Jonah has had way too much trauma happen to him in such a short amount of time that I don't see him just being able to rebound quickly Mm -hmm. and not go down this very destructive path. Like, I think that Jonah has to hit rock bottom before he can come up. And I don't think he's at rock bottom yet. I think he's close, especially now that we've seen Ruth is no longer in his subconscious and Ruth no longer influences his decisions and his actions anymore. But I definitely don't think that we've seen Jonah at rock bottom yet. You know, he pretty much killed a guy this episode. He didn't quite but he might as well have, I think he you're right. It's to. Just, and it's, that's, and that's, that's equally as bad as the fact that he wanted to, and he would have done it. So I think what we can expect is he either will, and that'll be his yeah. rock bottom or hopefully, hopefully you'll have a moment of, of epiphany yeah. right before he's about to, and he'll turn around before he crosses the line. Yeah. As to whether or not or that'll happen, we'll have to see, and we will discuss it momentarily so thank you guys for tuning in for this episode we've got more along the way in just a matter of minutes uh in the meantime if you guys want to talk with us you can find me at instagram at kevin allen graham uh, or twitter at kevin allen says Haley, where can everyone find you yep you can find me on instagram Haley graves with two s's that's h-a-l-e-y-g-r-a-v-e-s-s or on twitter Haley one graves two All right, great. You guys, uh, if you're caught up on the series, we'll be right back for another live after show. And if not, go watch it and then come back and watch more after shows. We'll see you then. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principal.